Well, we're going to continue our uh, series in Genesis this week, and um, we'll um, take a couple, we'll do this week and then a couple more weeks as we uh, continue to look at the first uh, 11 chapters of Genesis um, and uh, just hear these stories. I, I, I think these are very, very important stories for us to hear um, and, and to think about and to actually hear in the context in which they are written. I think so many times that um, our, our faith is shaped by how we hear these initial stories about God. And, and even like we talked about last week, I am just amazed um, at, at um, how when folks are asked about the story of the flood, they remember God getting mad, even though that is not what is in Scripture. Uh, it just reminds me how we have allowed these visions that we have of God to shape even how we read Scripture um, and doesn't allow us to see who God reveals himself to be in Scripture. And so I just challenge us to continue uh, as we listen to these ancient stories and hear them afresh and anew uh, to allow them to continue to shape us and to to form us. You may remember last week as we began to look at the, take a closer look at Genesis chapters 6 through 9 and this uh, story of the flood that um, that is one of the things that we, we highlighted was that God grieved and instead of getting mad. And we, we, uh, we said that God looked, he, he looked down at the world and he saw the violence and the destruction that was running rampant on the earth. Uh, he looked at this creation that he had intended to be full of life and love and, and to flourish, and instead he saw a world that was full of violence and destruction and, and hatred, a world uh, that was headed 180 degrees from how God had intended uh, this creation to be. Instead of moving toward harmony, it was moving away and toward a selfishness and toward this hatred and this destruction. And, and, and God's heart was broken. God grieved as he realized that this creation, uh, he looked and he saw where this creation was headed, and he saw that it was unwilling to respond to his grace, uh, despite all the times uh, that God had reached out when humans had uh, decided to trust themselves or somebody else, and, and God had done things to, um, to continue to show his love and his concern for them. And it's as if God looked down on creation, and, and he decided to allow creation to experience the consequences um, and the full force of their poor choices, of their failures to make good decisions about what was good and what was evil. And so God stopped holding back the waters of chaos and instead allowed them to bubble up and to come down and to begin to cover the earth. And we're told in, this, in, in chapter 6 and 9 of Genesis, in the midst of this pain and regret, God sees Noah. And in fact, in, in chapter 6 of Genesis, we read uh, these words as God looks down and he sees Noah. And God said to Noah, the end has come for all creatures since they have filled the earth with violence. I am now about to destroy them with the earth and so make a wooden ark, make the ark with nesting places and cover it with the inside. And I started reading at the wrong place, Dustin. 
Let's start at verse 9. Can I try this again? These are, descendants of no- These are Noah's descendants. In his generation, Noah was moral and exemplary man. He walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. In God's sight, the earth had become corrupt and filled with violence, and God saw that the earth was corrupt because all creatures behaved corruptly. And so God said to Moses, The end has come for all creatures since they have filled the earth with violence. I am now about to destroy them along with the earth. So make a wooden ark. Make the ark with nesting places and cover it inside and out. This is how you should make it. Uh, 400 feet long, 70 feet wide, 75 feet high. Make a roof for the ark and complete it and, and complete it one foot from the top. Put a door in its side. In the, in the hold below, make the second and third decks. I am now bringing the floodwaters over the earth to destroy everything under the sky that breathes. Everything on the earth is about to take its last, last breath. But I will set up my covenant with you. You will go into the ark together with your sons and your wife and your sons' wives. We, we hear these words in Genesis chapter 6, and we see that God has looked down and he sees Noah, and God has determined that he will uh, save Noah. He will exempt Noah from uh, this flood that he is about to bring because of all the violence and because of where the earth and where humanity is heading. And I find it interesting um, as we read the passage, it says God commands or God instructs. Um, As I read this passage, what's really happening, it seems to me, is that God invites Noah to trust him. God invites Noah to trust him. Uh, He tells him what is about to happen, and then he says, but I have decided uh, to spare you, because apparently as God looked at the earth and and he grieved about where everybody was headed, it looked, at least he looked at Noah and he said, "In, in this generation, in his generation, Noah was righteous and a good example. Now, I'm not sure what it means to say that Noah was a good example in the generation in which he lived. The bar was not very high. Uh, But God looked at Noah, and he saw in Noah this person who might respond to his grace and his initiative. And so God invites Noah to build this ark to build an ark uh, so that God might start over with Noah and with a cross-section of the animals from the earth. And we're told that Noah, here's here's God. Remember in the story of Cain, God goes to Cain, right? He warns Cain to let loose of his anger um, and and his frustration, um, and, and Cain refuses to listen to God, instead goes forward to kill his brother. Here in this story, we see that Noah hears God. And we're told that, God, that, that Noah does as God instructs him to do. He builds an ark. He, he opens the doors and God sends the animals. And then God shuts the door of the ark. And, and Noah begins to see uh, waters coming down from the sky and bubbling up from the earth. And he begins to see the waters begin to cover the earth. And he watches for 40 days as the waters uh, come down and swell up and the boat begins to float. For 40 days, and then for another 
150 days, uh, this ark floats atop of the water while the rest of the earth is covered and is cleansed of its violence and its evil. And in the beginning of chapter 8, we, uh, we hear these words from the author. It says, God remembered Noah. Now, it's not as if God forgot about Noah. Uh, but I think that what, what's happening here is that in the midst of his grief and his pain, as he's witnessing the destruction uh, of the world, and, uh, and God is, is looking and seeing the, uh, what humanity had become. I think at this point, God turns his attention from the past. He turns his attention from uh, those who would not respond to his grace, those who continued to perpetrate violence against one another, and he turns his attention to those who are alive to the remnant that is on the ark, uh, this remnant of people and animals with whom he will start over. He turns his attention to them. And he sends a wind, and it begins to blow, and the waters begin to recede. And so for 40 days now, the waters begin to, the water level begins to drop, and the ark comes to rest on land, and we're told it sits there for another 150 days. While Noah and, and the folks in the ark, they, they wait. They wait for signs uh, that they might disembark. And finally, they get that sign, and God tells them to go forth from the ark and to be fruitful and to multiply. The same words that God used with Adam and Eve in the garden, he says, be fruitful and multiply. God is ready to start over with Noah and with this remnant that is in the ark. And yet, as we continue to read the story, we realize that this new beginning, this, this restart, so to speak, it is not a new Eden. Just in case there's any misconceptions, uh, because we have been told that, that Noah is an example and a moral individual, just in case there's any misconceptions that, that Noah is this perfect and good man with whom God will start over with a clean slate, uh, God acknowledges in uh, verse uh, 21 or 22 of chapter 8, He acknowledges that He understands that, that Noah and his family... They have not been transformed. They are in many ways like the people who have been destroyed. They have been influenced by, by years of violence. They have been shaped and formed uh, because of uh, poor choices that they have made and others have made. The story makes it clear that God does not have any misconceptions uh, that this starting over is with two perfect individuals. But God knows that that with which he is restarting are a people who are flawed and imperfect and broken. 
of people who still have the freedom to determine good and evil, of people who will still make poor choices when given choices about what is good and evil, of people who will continue to make choices that are selfish, choosing to trust themselves rather than God at times, of people who will continue to choose to participate in hate and violence. And so God is not starting over with this clean slate of people. He understands. He understands that the people uh, that this new beginning uh, is coming to are a people who are flawed and imperfect and marred by years of sin and evil and violence and destruction. And so we might expect, especially if we are under the impression that God is angry, we might expect uh, that, that when uh, Noah disembarks, we might expect God to say to Noah, okay, buddy, you saw what I did to all these people who did bad and wrong. You better straighten up and fly right or the same thing's going to happen to you. That's what an angry and mad God would say, isn't it? That's what we would say often, isn't it? But God doesn't say that to Noah. In fact, in this passage passage that we read in in, uh, chapter 8, I'm going to invite you to hear this passage that begins in 8.20 and goes to um, Genesis 9.17. Hear God's response and what it is that God wants to communicate to Noah as he starts over with this family. We're told that Noah built an altar to the Lord. He took some of the clean animals and some of the clean birds. He placed them in placed entirely burned offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled the pleasing scent. And the Lord thought to himself, I will not curse the fertile land anymore because human beings, since since because of human beings, since the ideas of the human mind are evil from their youth. In other words, what we see here, remember, when was the ground cursed? When Adam and Eve ate of the apple, God told them this is what they... uh, God is saying that he's going to undo that curse. And he says, never again, never again will I destroy every living thing as I have done. As long as the earth exists, seed time and harvest, cold and hot, summer and autumn, day and night will not cease. God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, Be fertile, multiply, fill the earth. All of the animals on the earth will fear you and dread you, all of the birds of the sky, everything crawling in the ground, and all the sea's fish. They are in your power. They're under your dominion. Everything that lives and moves will be your food, just as I gave you the green grasses. I now give you everything. However, you must not eat meat with its life its blood in it. I will surely demand your blood for a human life. For every living thing, I will demand it. From humans, from a man for his brother, I will demand something for a human life. Whoever sheds human blood by human, by human, his blood will be shed. And it, for in the divine image of God, humans were made. As for you, be fertile and multiply. Populate the earth and multiply it. God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I am now setting up my covenant, my promise with you 
and with your descendants and with every living being with you, with the birds and with the large animals and with the animals of the earth, leaving the ark with you. I will set up my covenant with you so that never again will all life be cut off by floodwaters. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the symbol of the covenant that I am drawing up between me and you and every living thing with you on behalf of every future generation. I have placed a bow in the clouds. It will be a symbol of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember the covenant between me and you and every being. The bow will be in the clouds, and upon seeing it, I will remember the enduring covenant between God and every living being of all the earth's creatures. Never again will I destroy all creatures. God said to Noah, this is the symbol of the covenant that I have set up between you and me and all creatures of the earth. Do you hear God's graciousness again in that story? He begins by saying, never again will this happen. In some places they debate whether God means never again will the earth be destroyed by floods or, or whether he means just never again will God decide to destroy all of creation in this way because of humans' poor choices and their sinfulness. But when Noah comes off the ark, he doesn't say straighten up and fly right or the same thing was happened to you. Instead, he says never again will this happen. I mean, can you imagine being Noah? Uh, and every time it started to rain, can you imagine being afraid that maybe it was going to happen again and God hadn't told them this time to build an ark and they would be the ones who were wiped away? God does not want the humans that he restarts with, he does not want them to be afraid of him. He does not want to wor them to worry that he is a God that, that just seeks to bring condemnation and destruction to people who fail to live in his ways. He wants them to be assured that never again will this happen. He wants them uh, to trust him, not to be afraid of him. And so he tells them that the curse will be removed. He tells them that the, that the seasons, the sun will rise and set every day. There will be planting and harvest season. There will be seasons of the earth. The earth, the world will act in a way that is consistent. A way that will support the flourishing of human beings. If only humans will participate in living in such a way to do the same. God says, never again. And yet at the same time, uh, God um, realizing that, that one of the issues apparently uh, is that when people have experienced the grace of God, when Cain experienced the grace of God after killing Abel, and God said uh, that he would not allow others to kill Cain, uh, that in receiving that graciousness, we as humans just continued uh, to take advantage of God's grace rather than responding to it to change us. And so God also says, but from now on, if a human being is killed, humans will take the life of the one who has killed a human being. In other words, God is going to allow humans to create this, this justice system that, that 
keeps in check the evil and the violence that we will tend to perpetrate. And yet, he says, never again. God wants to ensure that Noah and his descendants do not live in fear of being afraid of God, of thinking that God might strike them with a lightning bolt at any time. And so we should not be surprised. If we read this story and if we read all of Scripture, we should not be surprised when we read the stories of Jesus. See, the story from Genesis to Revelation is the consistent story which too many times uh, we take and we twist um, in ways that are not biblical. We depict God as being angry and mad and just, um, just hardly being able to be held back from, from um, hitting people with a lightning bolt if they do something wrong. But if we read these stories in the Old Testament, We are not surprised when Jesus comes and he says, I did not come to condemn, but I came to save. God is not a God who who relishes in destruction and death. God is a God who relishes in offering life and creating a space for humans to flourish. And so Jesus comes and says, I did not come to condemn, but I came to save the world. And yet, in that same passage, Jesus tells us what the problem is. The problem is that despite God continuing to come to humans to save them and to invite them to trust Him, inviting them to walk in the light of Christ and and in the light of God's ways, we keep choosing to walk in the darkness. We keep choosing to trust ourselves or to trust something else in creation. Rather than choosing to walk in the light of Christ and in His his love and His compassion, we choose to walk with hatred and violence in our hearts. Rather than hearing the words of God and trusting Him, we choose to trust something else. Hear this story of the flood. Hear this story in light of Christ. It is a God who comes to save and to start over. A God who invites humans to trust Him. Not a God who says, obey me or else, but a God who says, trust me and live as I call you to live. And you will be saved. You will be rescued. You will be brought out of the darkness into the light. And along with you will come others. Do you hear God's invitation today? I invite the choir to come forward. Do you hear God's 
invitation today. Can we stand on the promises of God this day? Promises that say, I intend the best for you. Trust me. Do life with me. Give up our hateful and violent ways and embrace the loving ways and gracious ways of God. And we will be saved. We will be brought into the light of Christ and out of the darkness. And we will be able to be a light and a beacon for others.